Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Father's Day is, is not actually a biblical thing, uh, but it's, it's actually more of a Catholic thing that kicked off in the 15th century. But we like it. We think it's good and we think that we should keep doing it. And so we do celebrate Father's Day. I'll tell you what is a biblical thing, honor. In fact, you know, when it comes to the scriptures, honoring your father and your mother is the first commandment that comes with a blessing. So congratulations to all of you that are just wanting to pull some blessing into your life by honoring your mom and your dad if you can do it. I think that being a parent is an incredible privilege. It's an immense privilege. But like the great theologian Ben Parker said, with great power comes great responsibility. And so we know that, you know, when you become a parent, uh, it is an immense responsibility to take some little uh, person that can't do a thing for themselves and helps to sort of grow them and develop them to become a mature follower of Christ, if that's what you want to do. And, you know, I got to tell you, I, I think that being a dad is, is really, it, it's an apprenticeship. It's an apprenticeship because... I know that there's some books out there that you might be able to buy on parenting, but I promise you uh, 99.99% of the dads, they don't read them. We don't read them. We hope that our wives read books and tell us what to do. And so it's an apprenticeship and you just learn on the job. You learn as you go. You learn by making mistakes. And I can tell you, man, I've made some mistakes. If, I, if you want to feel encouraged today, I'll give you a couple stories. I remember when uh, the kids, uh, well, actually, it was really, we only had Judah at this time. When he was a little baby, Sarah had done a great job of looking after him and, and, and me too. And we, we did it together. And I felt really confident when there was the three of us. And Sarah said this one night, hey, I want to go out with some friends. And I'm like, yeah, great. Go have a good time. Now, this was the very first time that she ever left me alone with our small child, our first child, Judah. And so she went out and she, had a, she was having a great night and about probably about an hour into her just trying to relax and have a great night, I had a bit of a situation at home. Judy used to love to crawl all over the floor and crawl between the couches. And it happened to be that on this particular time, on the one time that Sarah went out, that happened to coincide with the very first time that I was left alone with our firstborn child. He crawled under the, uh, under the uh, seats and the chairs that we had at home. And I pulled him out and he had found a packet of silica beads. I don't know if you know what silica beads are, but they, they put them in, uh, you, know, uh, you know, packets of things to draw out the moisture to make sure that everything's dry in there. And, and so I, I pulled him out and here he is with a packet of silica beads and he's eating them. He's got silica beads around his mouth and I didn't even know if they were poisonous. And so I wasn't sure what to do. Did I give Sarah uh, some peace? No, no, no. I interrupted her night and I called her immediately to say, and it's a really interesting conversation. I said something kind of like, I hope you're having a good time tonight. She said, yeah. Are you having lots of fun with your friends? She said, yeah. I said, well, I've got to interrupt you to let you know one thing. She said, what? I said, Judah has eaten silica beads. Now I just want to know, are they poisonous? Should I be worried about this? She says, I don't know. Call the poison hotline and let me know how you go. So she kept having a good night with her friends and I called the poison hotline. Turns out you can eat silica beads and they will just pass through. Okay. So, so he was okay and he was alive. And that was just the first of a couple mistakes that I made. I remember we were in Warnable, we we're on a holiday and, and I was, I was so captivated by the beauty of my firstborn child. I was looking at him. He was crawling around on the, on, on, on the bed that we had. 
And uh, this, this place where we were staying, it had a bedside table that had a really sharp point, a really sharp edge and corner. And I'm literally watching him just crawl and I'm just enjoying the moment as he crawls towards the edge of the bed. And then it sort of occurred to me that he wasn't going to stop because, well, he's a baby. And so he keeps crawling. He goes off the edge and he actually, the, the, the point of the corner of the bedside table hits him square between his eyes. We have a number of photos where there is just this red spot right here, this red dot of blood where he literally fell and it hit him between the eyes. Like I'm saying like a, an inch to the, to the right or the left and maybe he wouldn't be able to see. Now these are just some of the mistakes I have made as a parent and I looked at that and I thought man I've got to get better at doing this and I don't know about you but as a dad I'm always thinking like I I just want to get better and I don't know where you're at today and I don't know where you would say your parenting skills are but even if you're a grandparent right where well, you are still a parent and and for me I just want to get better at doing this job of being a dad and so today oh by the way just to let you know uh, Judah is still alive he is healthy he's 12 years old and we celebrate that every day um, so I want to preach a message today to to all of the uh, I want to preach a message, yeah, to some of our, our dads, but to be honest, this is going to be a message that even if you're sitting there and you're a 15-year-old uh, young lady and you're saying, well, this, this, why am I here? This is not for me. This is for dads. No, no, no. I promise you that today you're going to have some takeaways. You're going to learn some things that are going to be so important for you too. But I, I want to preach a message today about being a Christian dad because I realized in the preparation for this message that this probably wasn't going to be applicable to everybody. It was just going to be applicable to Christian dads and Christian moms and, and Christian people. Because what I'm talking about is leading our kids in a very specific direction. Now, if we were to, you know, look back through time and history and, and, and even go back to Jewish culture and see what they would do and how they would parent and, and what they thought about parenting, I, I tell you, they had some very specific roles that dads would do, right? One of the things that a dad would do would be to circumcise their own children. Thank God we don't have to do that anymore. And I tell you, right, there is, there is no way to prepare for that. There, there, I don't know how you work up to that. Maybe you're just, you know, cutting the carrots or the beans in the kitchen and you just learn how to just slice really cleanly. I, I don't know how you prepare for something like that. But, you know, if you have to, you are literally practicing on your firstborn child. Thank God the parents don't have to. I'm a firstborn. Thank God that nobody has to do that anymore. Right? But this was a responsibility in Jewish culture that the dad would circumcise their firstborn child. They'd also have to redeem back their child. That's this whole thing. I'm not even really going to talk about that today, but that would be one of the things that they would do, redeem their firstborn child. They would have to educate and teach their kids. And then they would also do something which I'm a really big fan of. Uh, they would find a wife for their son. Now, I am all about this, and I don't even think this is a bad idea. If you're a teenager right now and you're listening to this, you're like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. 
Yeah, but if you're, you know, got kids, you're like, this is the, this is the most wonderful thing. And why did we ever let this go? I, I'm, I think about this all the time. And I've, I've been honest. I want to be transparent with the church right now. I'm eyeing your children off. I'm looking at my kids. I'm looking at your kids. I'm thinking, hey, who's going to suit my kids, right? So, so in fact, the reason I started church was really just to marry off my kids. So, so anyway, they, they would find, that's not true. They would marry off their kids. They would find a partner for their, for their kids. They would teach them how to swim because, you know, swimming is important. And if you're Australian, you know that. And they would also teach them about a trade. Like they had to do work. Like how do you, you know, how do you do your trade, whether you're a carpenter or whatever trades they were doing back then. And so these were the things that dads would do with their kids. Now, I would say that the dads were very engaged and very involved in parenting. If you look at all the things that I just said, this is a pretty involved role. And I just want you for a moment just to think back and think back to your own childhood and just start to think about the experiences you had as a, as a child and who you would really share those experiences with. And, and for me, I have great relationship with both my mom and my dad. I would call them equally. I Truthfully, that's not true. I would call my dad more because he has his phone on and with him. And so dad gets the phone calls, right? But, but I would happily call either one of my parents and speak to them, right? So they're both engaging and in and, and, and the parenting thing, right? But I would say in all honesty, if I think back to my childhood, if I was having like a, maybe it was a spiritual experience or a conversation about God, the reality is a lot of stuff. A lot of those experiences were probably just shared with my mom. My mom would speak into my life about spiritual things all the time. She was, she was a person who continued to sort of drive that spiritual uh, value in our house. And dad did it too. In fact, dad would do it. We would call dad in for the really big things like, like spiritual warfare stuff. You know, dad could really pray and he still can, you know. And so when the big ticket items would happen, dad would come in. He had that you know, like, you know, like that dad authority and, and you know, when, when a dad, when you become a dad, you get this thing. I don't know if it's a spiritual thing. It probably is, right? Uh, but but it's a, you get a dad authority and when you have it, you know about it. Well, my dad has that. So, so he had this spiritual authority and, and he would come in and pray. But if I really think back about it, right, a lot of experiences were probably shared uh, with my mom when it came to spiritual things. And I would say that statistically, that is true because they have done great studies about this and it's been found that mums are the predominant person that bring spiritual influence into the household. So I, I decided to uh, find some research on this and there is a study group, a research group called Barna and they've done great studies into Christian families and the formation of Christian families. And this is what they discovered that among practicing Christians, they inherited their faith by a range of different influences. And they said, what were the greatest influences that you had? And so they ranked them. And mothers ranked top at 68%. Fathers ranked a little bit lower at 46%. And so the, the, the mom has played a majority role. But it, was, it sort of stretched a little bit beyond that. And I think that this is interesting anyway. So, so when it came to talking about God, like they did a study on teenagers, and they, when it came to talking about God, mom was the preferred parent. Mom was the one that they would go to. And, and, and you know, it, when it came to confrontation in the house, who would do the confronting? Was it dad? Not wrong again. Mom would often be the one confronting 
confronting the teenagers, right? When it came to uh, teenagers, mums were the preferred person to go to in, this, in the following categories. When they needed advice, when they needed encouragement, when they needed sympathy. Don't go to dad for sympathy. He'll fix it. But, but if you need sympathy, go to your mum. Faith and the Bible. Now, dads outperformed moms in just two categories. Do you know what they were? Number one, sports. You want to play sport? Get your dad. If that's, if that's available to you, get your dad. I would say this. If you're a single mom, mom's still ranked pretty highly. There's a lot of moms out there that get into their active wear and get out there with the kids. But, you know, dads did rank that little bit higher, right? And the second area that dads ranked high in is when the kids needed to talk about money. So sports, we're good at. Talking about money or maybe it was handling money. I'm not saying that dads are better at it. I'm just saying that the kids think that the dads are because they go to their dads for advice on money. Or maybe what it really is, is that they just want money. Either way, they go to their dads, right? Now, the, the, the study was vast. It was a big study and it came down to a very strong conclusion, right? Now, I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of details because we'd be here all day. I'm just giving you a, a, a few little highlights. But this is the conclusion, among practicing Christians, fathers do not spend much quality time with their kids. Fathers didn't spend much quality time with their kids. So maybe that's because dad's busy and dad's at work and that's what they think is the most important thing that they can do. I, I don't know. I don't know where you would find yourself today. I don't know how you would rate your, your parenting, right? but I would say this, it doesn't matter where you would put yourself on the scale. As a dad, as parents, don't we just want to get better? Oh, we just want to get better at doing this. You know, some of you may not have children, but you might become a spiritual parent to somebody. And quality time is still important when you become a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad. Right? So this would apply to all parents, but this study pointed out that fathers in particular don't spend enough quality time with their kids. Now, from me to you, there is no guilt here. That's not what this message is all about, but we do want to get better if we can. And I want to tell you something. This is really important. If, you, if you've ever been in any kind of race anywhere and the starting gun goes, bang, and, and you start to run your race, if you were to fall over just a few feet into that race and you get back up, the marshal doesn't come and grab you and, and march you back to the start of the race and say, well, you've got to start all over again. No, 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 that doesn't happen. You just pick yourself up and take another step. And maybe that's what this message is going to be like. Maybe there is something about today, by the end of today, that you'll hear and you'll say, you know, maybe there is a place in my life where I can take another step, where I can keep moving forward. So, you know, there is, when, you, when you do church, there's a lot of messages that, that pastors do multiple times. Christmas, every year, guess what? It's the same theme. Easter, guess what? It's the same, it's the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. Mother, Mother's Day, Father's Day. I thought, gosh. What would be so important to talk about on Father's Day? Like what, if I was going to crystallize it, I thought, well, if we were going to crystallize anything, shouldn't, it, shouldn't we distill what it means to be a dad, you know, and a Christian dad in that sense? And what would, what would be the ultimate goal of a Christian dad? 
And I thought it would be this, if we could lead our kids to love and worship God. Like ultimately, wouldn't we clarify that as the absolute win? And and the reason why I I love what I'm talking about today is it just takes it out of the realm of how much wealth you have. It's not about how much money you've got. It's not about the house that you live in. It's none of those things, right? If you can get to the end of your life as a Christian parent and say, I did everything I could to teach my kids how to love and worship God, I've done well. I thought I, I should just spend today speaking on how to do those things really well. And I'll tell you why, because kids often inherit their faith. And that's not just something that we understand from Bana, but it's something we see in the Bible. If you read the scriptures, one of the things that you see is that God is a generational God. You know, if you read the scriptures, it even refers to Him this way. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? That's like saying that He is the God of my father and me and my son. He is the God of Bruce and Ben and Judah. I quite like that. We, you, might, you might want to refer to God that way. I don't know. That'd be pretty weird, but maybe you want to do it. But He is a generational God. And so I understand that there is something that we need to do as parents, even as grandparents, And if you don't have kids right now, trust me, what you're sowing in your present season, you will reap in your later years. So this is applicable to everyone. And I guess really the point that I'm going to make by the end of today is, right, we've got to just really be Christians. We've just really got to be Christians. And so this message is astonishingly simple. And yet I would say it's an incredible challenge. And I want to read to you a scripture it comes out of Romans chapter 12 in verse 9. Now, the heading in my Bible says the marks of a true Christian. So if you're 14, 15, 16, guess what? This is not just for dads. This is for you. You can absolutely do everything I'm talking about. it, And I might put a little dad spin on this. But at the end of the day, these are the marks not of being a a father. This is the marks of being a Christian. And my challenge is that fathers should be doing everything that Christian people should be doing. So so I want to read this to you. It comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Now that is what we call a mandate. And then after that, and there, there are just four verses that I'm going to read through today. That's it, four verses. There are 11 ways to follow up that mandate. So the first thing is, let love be genuine. And then here are 11 ways to make sure you do that really well. Abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I'm going to give you six points on this. Number one, let love be genuine. This is what we call a mandate. This is an imperative. This is something we have to do. The love that we have needs to be genuine. This is an obligation. This is an expectation. And not from me. This is from God to us. That our love should be 
genuine. It's easy sometimes to love your kids and have these beautiful moments. I, I had this moment with Eliana. She's my youngest and she came up to me and she just kind of sat next to me on the couch. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but she just kind of like snuggled in and put her arms around me and she just hugged me. You know, she didn't say anything. And when you're a dad and these moments happen, you just want to soak them up. So I just enjoyed this beautiful moment. And probably about, I don't know, maybe 25 seconds into this beautiful moment, she says, Dad. And I said, yes, sweetheart. She said, can I have your phone? I said, get away from me, you manipulative little midget. No, get, you, I, I know what happened. You, the hug was only for the phone. She only hugged me for my phone. So what am I saying? Guys, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. The Greek word for genuine here actually is unhypocritical. So we should be unhypocritical. Why? Because Christian people should be known for how we love. So we can't have a hypocritical kind of love. We can't have a manipulative kind of love. We can't have the kind of love where we're only doing it to get something else that we want. It's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. It's got to be transparent. And you know what? In order for that to be what it is, in order for you to love, and if we should be known by how we love, you got to actually do it. I reckon love is a verb. It's not just some theoretical thing that we do. We don't just love people in our hearts, but not show it on the outside. I think if, if God is God and He created man, then the fullest extent of our masculinity could be experienced in how we love people. I think it's such a masculine thing to do, to have the strength of who you are and, and to know who you are and be totally okay at expressing how you love. You gotta hug people. And, and, and so the dads are like, yeah, I hug my kids all the time. Maybe there's some more hugs that need to be given in your world. I don't know. You've got to hug people. It's okay to tell them that you love them. It's okay to express gratitude. It's okay to express love, not just your kids. And I recognize as I say this, that there are some parents or some, let's just say this, some people who have not had what I just said modeled to them. Maybe you grew up in a house where no one ever told you that they loved you. No one ever came to you and, and put their arm around you. They, they, they didn't hug you. Here's what I would say. Be the circuit breaker in your generational line. Be the circuit breaker. I don't, I don't know what came in your family line up to this point, but if I were you, I would sever that right now, all the negativity, and I would embrace a new culture and choose to embrace a new culture and do everything that I'm talking about today and begin to express your love and gratitude. Be the circuit breaker in your house. Show people how you love them and do it so well. If you read Kings and Chronicles, one of the things that you'll see in those books of the Bible is that, you know, there is a generational thing that happens where kids, will see what their parents do and often mimic their behavior. And every now and then you're going to get a situation where kids behave in a different way to their parents. But you know what our responsibility is? Sow the right seeds. We've got to make the decision to do the right things with the life and the time and the opportunity that we have. Be the circuit breaker, show love, embrace it and let your love be genuine. That's just point number one. Point number two, abhor evil 
and hold fast to what is good. The word abhor means to be totally repulsed by evil. It actually means to distance yourself from evil. Keep some space between you and what is wrong. And so I know that in church, one of the things that we talk about a lot, we talk about how to love God. You know, you got to love God. And, and maybe that's something that you've been able to do. I don't know. Maybe it's something that you're challenged by. And you say, well, how do I really love Him? You know, you don't know how to feel loved by Him, right? But we talk a lot about love. Sometimes what I think we forget to do is actually hate evil. You know, we might know how to love, but do we really hate evil? Do we want to put some distance between it and us? Do we want to have God's standards in our lives? Because let me tell you something, monkey see, monkey do. Your kids will not do what you say, they'll do what you do. So you do what you want them to do. Amen? You've got to do what you want them to do. You've got to have the kind of standard in your life that you would want them to have. I think this is incredibly important not to be hypocritical when it comes to this stuff. Like, do you ever give your kids boundaries and then you as a parent see yourself as being able to cross the very things that you would never encourage your kids to do? I'm just going to be so honest right now because I think if there was a time for an honesty, right, the pulpit is where it should be. Like we should be able to communicate some truths here. So, so you know, would do you, would you, you never encourage your kids to use bad language, but as soon as you get around your work friends, it's okay there. Why is it acceptable in some places and not in others? Is there an age that kids can graduate to where that becomes more acceptable? Why do we teach small children not to use bad language, but it's totally okay for older children to use bad language? Or, or maybe adults, or, or it's not okay in the home, but it's okay in your workplace. This, that, I would say that's kind of hypocritical when you have one standard in your life somewhere, and then you completely break it somewhere else. What about when it comes to pornography? You'd be horrified if your kids were, were watching anything like that, right? But do you then go ahead and break your own standard and say, it's okay for me and I'd protect my kids, but I, I think I'm going to get caught up in it? I mean, there are so many areas where we need to have consistent boundaries, not only for our kids, but even in our own lives. What about screen time? What about screen time? You say, kids, your eyes will go square. You've been watching the TV for too long, but mom and dad, you've been sitting on the couch on Facebook for a couple hours now. And you know what? Kids will just repeat what they see. They'll repeat what you do, not what you say. So you do what you want them to do. Amen. I think it's important that what we do as Christian parents, right, is we've got to keep some standards in our lives. And the standards that we keep are the standards that God sets. Just think about this for a minute. The world has changed dramatically in 50 years. Dramatically in 50 years. You think back to 50 years ago, you know, 1970, and start to think what has changed and shifted in our culture from all the way back then. And so much has changed. And I think that what is acceptable now would have been horrific 50 years ago. People would have been disgusted by it 50 years ago. And why am I talking about God's standards? I'll tell you why. Because if all we do is make sure that we keep distance between ourselves and the culture and we stay and we keep that same distance, guess what? Culture moves. 
culture's changing and we say, that's okay. I'm still an arm's length from culture. I'm still an arm's length. I'm still, I'm still, I'm, I'm not where culture is. I'm not where culture is. Problem is, is that God's standard hasn't moved. His standard is still here. Meanwhile, if we're just keeping arm's length from culture, we're moving away from God's standards, but we're feeling good about it all the way because we still think we're better than the other guy or the other people or what we see other people do. No, no, no. If we're people that follow God, we should stick with God's standards and there will be a greater distance between us and what the world does. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I've said this before and I'll say it again. God is not old fashioned. He's outside of time. He's the beginning, the middle and the end. If He's in the future, then the values that we talk about as Christian people, they're not old fashioned. They're futuristic. These values are, are, are things that are, th these are timeless. These are eternal. So we should stick with everything. I just think we should stick with everything that God says. You know, don't, don't sear your conscience and feel permission that it's okay to keep moving in a direction. I, I, you know what I think we should have? Honestly, this should be this healthy tension as parents where we see God as our Father. This is this constant tension that we see. God is our Father and He's a loving Father and a good Father. And maybe you've had a bad experience with your own Father and don't project that onto God. He's perfect, okay? So, so we've got a great Father in heaven and He loves us and, and, and He's our Abba Father. Yep. At the same time, He is the Lord God Almighty. And there should be a little bit of fear of God in, in, in the holy sense that I'm talking about. We have a a holy fear. That is a reverence for God. So yes, He is our Father and He's loving and He's dad and He is still God. And I feel like if we can find a way to, to bring those two things together, we'll walk a healthy balance in life between knowing He is always with us as our Father and we still know how to receive Him as our God. So when this says abhor evil, abhorrence is not a feeling. Please don't wait till you start to feel sin before you correct it. That's like standing on the edge of a cliff and the moment you fall over, you realize you've made a mistake. Why wait till you're falling before you realize you made a mistake? If we were smart, what we do, and this is what we do as parents, and we see this all the time. We don't tell our kids to play in the gutter. It's too close to the road. We say, stay in the, stay on the path. Stay on the footpath. Don't even, don't, kids, don't even walk on the nature strips too close to the road. You, what do we do? We draw our boundaries well back within the safe zone. So even if mistakes happen, it's still okay. And we're still safe. That's point number two. Point number three, love one another with a brotherly affection. The Greek word here for love is a family type of love. Dads, you have a role to play. The example is to set, the example to set is one of family love. It's actually the second most important commandment. What's the first commandment, right? First and most important commandment. We would summarize the Old Testament law this way, to love God and to love people, to love your neighbor. So what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be loving people. Now, I find it to be consistent that in order to love people, you need to be part of the community. It's impossible to simultaneously isolate yourself and express love to people at the same time. So what does that mean? That means you've got to be engaged. And this is taught in this context, he's actually talking about loving your Christian neighbor. So you have got to be engaged 
in Christian community. This is what God asks. It says the marks of a true Christian is to be engaged in Christian community. Now, I'm not talking about serving or anything like that. I'm talking about being engaged. I'm talking about being there. I'm talking about being present, maybe being in the room. You've just got to be there, right? It's not your wife's job to drag you to social events because you'd rather just tinker in the garage. It might make you a little bit uncomfortable from time to time, dads. I get it. I know. I, yeah, sure. Right? But but you know what? If you're going to love with a brotherly affection, if you're going to do what the Scriptures exhort us to do, you've got to be in the community to be able to do it. So, so we got to get engaged. we got to get involved. we got to be present. If you've got kids, especially if you've got young kids, right? You know what it's like. You can all be in the same room, but if there's a screen on and they're playing something on YouTube, they're not present. So you can be in the same room and never be present. It's so important if we're going to express love to not just be there, but to be present at the same time. Point number two, uh, point number three. You know what? It's my message. It can be whatever I want it to be. Point number four, outdo one another in showing honor. I can have two, I can have two points to the point two. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you know what outdo means? Outdo means to be first to honour. That's what that actually means. I'm going to be first to honour. Let me be first to do it, right? We live in a culture that likes to cut other people down. And this happens a lot. And this is saying, no, 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 no. We need to be counter-cultural. Let us be the first to show honor. Now it gets a little bit challenging. And I want you to think about the culture that you even set in your own home. Just think about this for a moment. We are living in some of the most polarizing and divisive times that you could go through. I mean, people's opinions are strong and they're getting stronger. And it's easy in the current season that we're in, in the middle of this pandemic, especially if you live in Australia and right now, Melbourne or Sydney, to feel very strongly about things. So when you speak, I wonder what comes out of your mouth. I wonder if, if you were to speak and, and, and the culture of your house is to always tear down authority. I, you know what I think? I think we're starting to develop a culture and it's probably been there for a while. There is this immediate distrust of all authority type figures. So anyone that stands in a position that says you should do, people are immediately distrusting that. And if you speak about politicians, and I'm not talking, poli I'm not talking politics or anything today, but if you, if you always talk about politicians or maybe it's the police or maybe it's teachers or whatever it is, and, and, and you always, on the negative side, when it comes to talking about authority, you know what? I start to think about where the church will be in a couple of years because you know what? The kids that we're raising right now will become the leaders of the church tomorrow. And we're set in culture with how we do it. Now, whether we like it or not, the, the church is led by the fivefold ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Those are office gifts. There is some structure to the church. 
And I just kind of fear sometimes that if you're always negative about every type of authority, I wonder if we're teaching our kids without even meaning it to resist that too. And I think I wonder what that's actually gonna teach them. I wonder how it'll be in the future because the Bible says that we're supposed to honour each other. You know what that means? At a basic level, at a very fundamental level, we're supposed to respect each other. Just show some respect. And I find that respect is one of those things that is often hard for people to give. You know, sometimes it's like you respect people until they disagree with you. And then it's not even that we just disrespect their opinion, we just disrespect the person altogether. And you thought that they were okay. And then they said, I'm an anti-vaxxer. And suddenly you don't like anything they say. Or they, 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 they're pro-vax and you say, well, I don't like anything you say. You know, I feel like there is so much polarization that goes on in the world. And yet in the middle of it, the scriptures say that we're meant to honour each other. I don't think that God ever thought that everyone would agree. And yet in the middle of disagreeing, there's meant to be a culture of honour. We got to cultivate that. We got to teach that. We got to own that where we can. And I know in some instances, some things need to be challenged and I get that and I understand it. Somehow we've got to find the tension of being honest and yet still finding a place to honour. Point number four. Here I go. Point number five. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Listen, this thing that we're talking about, the gospel, everything that church really gathers around the central figure of Jesus and everything that he did is this is just the most important message that the world could ever hear and in other words when it says don't be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit what it's saying is when it comes to serving God don't mistake this this is about serving God now when it comes to serving God how do you go do do you serve at your church do you serve with your time do you lay down your talents When it comes to spiritual gifts, do you use what God has given to you to serve the community that's around you? Are you stepping into your calling or is it something that you always shrink away from and back off from? Don't, this scripture is saying, don't be lazy, get involved. This is directly from commentaries. They say, don't be lazy. You've got to get involved. The Greek word here for fervent, you know what it means? It means to be emotionally on fire. It actually means, and if you were going to picture this, it means, the the Greek word, it means to be like a boiling pot. Like you are just ready to go. You are just amped about the gospel. You are just so excited about it. You have clarity of vision over what's important in the world. And, 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 And you know, you've narrowed every, all of the values and all of the distractions, you've narrowed it down to this thing called the gospel. And it's just the most amazing thing. My, my question is, where's your passion? Where's your passion at? Do you, do you find yourself being a boiling pot or you just, maybe you're just simmering away there, just slow. Some of us, I wonder, is the heat turned on? Are we passionate? Do we let our kids see worship? You know, I know passion looks different in different people, but it's so easy. Like, well, sometimes when I talk about passion, we, we use illustrations like, you know, when you go to the football, football, you see people shouting and getting excited, right? Well, that's a football kind of passion. And you know what? In church, there is a place for that. But passion can be quiet. I get that. But it's got to look like something. It's got to look like reading the Scriptures. 
It's got to look like worshipping God in your home and letting your kids come and see it. It's got to be like praying with them or maybe laying hands on your kids. Let's not come to church, this, this church building, since we are actually the church. Let's not come into this building and be spiritual here and forget that we can go home and take communion together, that we can go home and do all the spiritual things that we learn about. I, Dad, are you so pumped to go to church? I hope, I hope that you know, no one has to drag you because monkeys see, monkey do. You know, your kids won't do what you say. They'll do what you do. So you do what you want them to do. Amen. Are you passionate? Do you, do you talk about it with zeal? Are you fervent in spirit? Are you, are you, are you excited? Are you, are you just ready to go? This is the example we need to set for our kids. We've got to lead them all the way. We've got to show kids that, hey, you know what? We're all in. We are so excited about what God is doing on planet Earth. Point number six, and my last point. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Listen, no one is 100% happy 100% of the time. No one. But you know, you can have a disposition of hope. You can have a disposition of joy. You, you, you can have that. And you work towards that if you don't have it right now. I mean, when you, when you come into your home, do you see things like maybe, Dad, do you remember when you used to go to work and come home from work? I know many of you are working at home right now, but, but Dad, when you come home and you walk into your house, have you ever had this where you walk in and you look around? Maybe mom looks a little more stressed. Maybe something happened at her workplace. Maybe the kids haven't been listening. I don't know. There's all kinds of things that could have been ha happening, right? Now, in that moment, you get to choose. Are you going to set the culture of your home? Are you going to fall to the culture of the room? Or are you going to walk in and be a spiritual heavyweight and say, no, I'm not having this. This is not in my house. Not in my house. No, no, no. We're, we're going to change the culture right now. Are you just a person that measures the temperature or do you become a thermostat and changes the temperature? Change the way that things are happening in your house. This is the great privilege of being a parent. You get the opportunity to shift things when you see them as you should. Listen, when problems come, because what does it say? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Problems are going to come. You know, for our family right now, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're, we're selling the house that we're in and we want to buy another home. So we saw this house uh, a couple months ago and we kind of just fell in love with it. We thought, oh man, this could, this could be our next home. And that dream became very real when we spoke to the real estate agent who said, hey, if you put in this offer, they'll accept it. And so it became very real for us at that point. And I was talking to the kids. We went and saw the house just before we went into lockdown. And, and you know what? If you want to buy a house and play it cool, never, ever take your kids. They will give everything away. They're running around the house. They'd already named all of the bedrooms. They had told the real estate agent which bedroom was theirs. So it was a little hard for me to pretend that I might be interested. They've already said, this is our house. And so there we are and, and we're looking at it and, and, and we're trying to get our finances together. COVID slowed everything down. By the time we got it together, there was a few other people that were interested in the house. 
And we kind of missed the opportunity to be the only ones to put in an offer. Well, in the lead up to this moment, I was talking with the kids and we pray at night. Every night we get together, we pray as a family. And when we did, the thing that I kept saying is, guys, I know it's a great house. I know you're really excited about it, but whatever happens, we just got to trust God. And maybe we don't get it and maybe we do, but we're just going to trust God. He has our best interest. He knows what's right for us. So let's just trust God. He's always good in every season, right? And so we had been saying this for weeks, right? And they were so excited about the house. We put in the offer and we totally missed out. And I said to the kids, guess what? We didn't get the house. You know what their response was? That's okay. They said, God's got a better place for us, right? Why did they say that? They said, God knows what we need. He knows when it's the right time. Do you know why He said that? Because for about three weeks, we drilled it in prayer time every single night, right? And actually, when I heard it from their mouths, it encouraged me because I wanted that house, you know? And I heard it from their mouths and I said, they're right. They're absolutely right. God is still good. And listen, tribulation will come. You will face problems. There will always be challenges. But even if you pray and you don't get what you want, you pray for health and it doesn't happen. God is still good, right? Like He's still good at that moment. Do you still declare that God is good in your home when you don't get what you want? We don't serve a genie or, you know, where we make our wish and He grants it to us and He's good depending on the outcome. He's the Lord God Almighty. I don't always get what I want, but I always get what I need. And I trust Him to know the difference between what I'm asking for and what I should have. God is good in every season health or, or ill health or challenges, whatever it is, right? And what am I saying? I'm saying, guys, this is the kind of culture we got to have in our homes where we set the temperature. You know, even if you're a grandparent, you're listening to this right now, your adult kids have kids of their own and they're going through the challenges that you used to face. You know what? You can still set some culture and your family line and your generation and your history. And you're teaching the kids to embrace this deep, profound relationship with God, where in every season and situation, they say, God is good. He's so good. This is the privilege of parenthood. This is the power that comes with responsibility to be able to shape this. What does it say? It says, you gotta be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Dads, we never rely on mum to be the prayer warrior while we're the breadwinner. That's not our jobs. That's not, that's not the most important thing here. Come on, pray in your home. Pray over your business. Pray over your friends. Pray over your family. Pray for your wife. Pray for your kids. Pray. Pray in the morning. Pray in the afternoon. Pray at night. And when you pray, let your kids see. Because if you always disappear every time you do something spiritual, it actually becomes something mystical. And they never really know what's going on in that secret little place, right? Come out. Let your kids see you read the Bible on the couch in front of them. Maybe they are watching YouTube, but they're seeing some habits formed in your life. And they see you pray and they see you do all of these things that I've been speaking about all day. And it begins to shape the next generation. This is the power and privilege of parenthood. So what am I really saying? In summary, this is it. Be a good example to your kids. Be a good example in general. Be present. Be engaged. Teach not just your kids, but teach everyone how to love and worship God. Because, you know, we, we know that kids, they're going to grow up one day. Maybe they listen. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. But I do know this. 
the thing that we are always responsible for in every season is sowing the right seeds. And the right seeds are all the things that I'm talking about today. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for everyone that, that what we do as Christian parents, maybe grandparents, maybe you're, you're just watching this, you're, you're, young, you're a young person, you've got no kids, you're in, you're in your 20s, right? Yeah, but you're learning something here. You develop the habits in the season that you're in, you carry them straight into your married life. These are important no matter who you are. It didn't say that these are the marks of a true parent. It said these are the marks of a true Christian. Father, I pray for every person right now that's listening to this message today. And God, maybe this is not where we find ourselves. This is astonishingly simple and yet incredibly challenging. Maybe we see the the level of parenthood through a new lens now and we realize there is some gap we can make up here. Maybe the thing that we recognize today is that we've maybe fallen in some spaces where we could have gone on a little bit further. But God, we're not sent back to the finish line and there's no guilt here today. God, today, wherever we find ourselves, we say we want to get better. And we stand up and we take another step. And I pray, God, for the comfort and the encouragement and the power of your Spirit to come and just move in the hearts of parents, grandparents, people today. And that we would see that you're calling us to do things greater maybe than where we've been. Father, I pray that we would embrace that challenge, that we'd step up to the plate, that we'd embrace the culture and the things that you've asked us to do. And that God would lead the next generation in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.